This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. 9.16am, you're listening to The Morning Run with Shazana Keith and Xiaoning. Let's get a quick update on the FBM KLCI. Still in the red, it is down 0.3% to 1,455 points. All right. Well, let's take a look at the broader Malaysian and ASEAN region. Malaysia's economic growth grew by 3.3% in the third quarter, thanks to a surge in consumer spending, which was supported by the services and construction sectors, which helped cushion the decline in exports. However, manufacturing contracted for the first time in two years and was weaker due to slowing external demand as, as well as global growth as global growth slowed. As for the Ringgit Bank Negara, did take pains to, to that it will be driven by external factors, but there has been 14.1 billion ringgit in net outflows for the third quarter, overturning the 8.1 billion ringgit in the second quarter of this year. So with a rather decent economic showing, will there be a re-rating of the FBM KLCI, which is actually down 8% on a year-to-date basis, adjusting for the US dollar strength? For some thoughts on this, we have on the line with us Andrew Sun, Head of ASEAN Equities at Amundi Malaysia. Good morning, Andrew. Thanks for joining us. So as mentioned, Malaysia's third quarter GDP came in at an expansion of 3.3% on year, slightly better than expectations driven by domestic demand. Why then is there a disconnect with the FBM KLCI? Yeah, morning and thanks for having me again. Um, so regarding this discrepancy between market and macro performances, what we are currently seeing is that investors are weighing factors other than just the state of our domestic economy. As with other emerging markets, particularly those in Asia, both foreign and domestic investors are continuing to be beholden by global narratives related to the U.S. interest rate cycle, and along with it, America's growth prospects, especially as we head into next year, and of course, the Chinese recovery. Geopolitics is also a factor that is even more important now, as seen especially in recent weeks. Now, thinking about all these uncertainties, there's no wonder that we are also seeing a stronger U.S. dollar as well. And it is this group of issues which represent significant headwinds for investors to deploy capital into the markets currently. Uh, And it's not just a consideration of the domestic environment. Andrew, you would would think that the weak ringgit would be be an attraction for foreign investors to you know, put their money into Malaysia, seeing as the GDP expanded by 3.3%, but that's not happening, right? What, what's what's missing here? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 all these uncertainties, uncertainties that I've mentioned about. And despite a, a weaker ringgit, it's also a symptom of, of the uncertainties that are out there as well. Mm-hmm. So it, there, is, uh, there is kind of a, um, a, I would say, um, a paradox here, um, and unfortunately, uh, as as far as especially the foreign investors are concerned, um, when only when you see a stronger ringgit will they start to become more interested in the markets. Actually, okay. So if we head into twenty twenty four, what then is your outlook for ASEAN markets in general? Because most ASEAN markets haven't done very well. So will mm. the end of the Fed hikes actually is that going to be the catalyst that will lead to inflows? So first off, as a region that's significantly reliant on trade with US, Europe and China, it's worth noting that number one, while US inflation looks to be tamed, the last mile to get to the 2% mark is proving to be longer than expected. Hence, that's why you're seeing this growing higher for longer narrative. Meanwhile, we are also seeing further signs of a slowing US economy. 
this is similar with Europe, where economic conditions continue to soften while inflation remains stubborn. Meanwhile, China is, is seeing China is seeing a recalibration towards a lower growth economy. So all this leads to a challenging trade outlook for the region. And of course, um, we, we talked about geopolitics, and, and that will actually be amplified with U.S. elections in November next year, in addition to, of course, Ukraine, Russia, U.S., China, and, and now the Middle East. However, if I look at the domestic landscapes of the ASEAN countries, they're generally more resilient despite such external uncertainties, much like you know, what you're seeing mm. in the Malaysian market. And this could actually offer a meaningful respite next year where economic performance is concerned. Whether this translates to market performance, however, I'm, I'm still on the skeptical camp as wider macro and geopolitical narratives are likely to, to continue to weigh on sentiments. Now, on to your second part, where uh, do we expect inflows when we see a clear peak in the US rate cycle? Um, not necessarily, as there are three caveats to consider. The first one is that at peak interest rate conditions, you're still rewarded handsomely for holding cash. So for inflows to happen, there needs to be at least a belief that interest rate cuts are imminent. The second caveat is that the demand for USD may still remain strong if global macro and geopolitical risks are high or increasing given it is seen as a safe haven currency. And thirdly, for Malaysia to attract good quality inflows, uh, perceived political risk here would need to be reduced. And as I've mentioned previously on this segment, this would be achieved with the passage of time and with local politics avoiding further dramas or becoming boring, at least until the next election. Okay, Andrew, I'm going to put you on the spot because I'm going to ask you to, to choose your favourite and least favourite child in the form of ASEAN countries. <laughs> so we <laughs> do see a China and US slowdown, a significant <laughs> one. Which country is going to be most vulnerable and which one is going to be least vulnerable? Okay, so if you're talking about China-US slowdown, then you have to think about those that are most affected uh, by by these trade flows. Mm. And um, if we look into specific countries, we see Vietnam and Malaysia as being uh, those countries that are more exposed to trade flows. Uh, so they will be the most vulnerable. But we remain bullish over the long-term um, prospect of both countries, Vietnam more so than Malaysia, given that it is growing from a lower base. But nevertheless, both will be beneficiaries from ongoing US-China frictions, as evidenced by continued FDI momentum that we're still seeing into these two countries, despite these uh, short-term trade headwinds. So we're a bit cautious on the short term, but we're still positive on the longer term prospects for these two countries. Now, if we are thinking about uh, what we're positive on in the shorter term, uh, in the near term positioning, we remain bullish on Indonesia, given it's more domestically oriented. Granted, we, we saw domestic conditions softening lately there, but with elections coming up in three months time, we expect more stimulus with both pre and post election spending to support domestic demand. And what would be your top sectoral picks or strong themes that are going to emerge in ASEAN equities in 2024, Andrew? So when, when we think about sectorial thematic calls, uh, the, the key question is, what would offer a meaningful and sustainable upside that can have a good chance of outlasting these near-term macro and political narrative um, uh, headwinds that we're seeing now? 
And for us, it is uh, quite hard to ignore the tech sector in general. While the industry is going through a late stage destocking cycle, as we see declines in demand on Malaysian tech products and services, uh, we think that this is at least partially priced in already. But looking into the medium term and long term dynamics, uh, expectations of multi-year growth profiles amongst these companies, actually not just in Malaysia, but across the region, um, they, they remain largely intact. And this is supported not only by continued investments into capacity expansion by the management of these companies, but we're also seeing a sustained FDI momentum into the local ecosystem where in particular Malaysia, but you're also seeing that in Thailand, Vietnam, and Indonesia, where EV is concerned. Mm -hmm. and, and this only further entrenches the role of, of ASEAN in the global tech and EV uh, chain, which, which I park under tech anyway. All right, Andrew, thanks so much for speaking with us. That was Andrew Sun, Head of ASEAN Equities for Amundi Malaysia, talking to us about some of the trends that he sees uh, taking shape in ASEAN markets moving forward. Can we turn our attention to some of the earnings reports that have crossed our table this morning? Let's start off with Afin Bank. They reported net profit for the third quarter that plunged by 88% on year to 100 million ringgit. And this was due to a one-off 1.06 billion ringgit divestment of its asset management business last year. On a quarter on quarter basis, earnings fell by 11% because of uh, because due, due to higher OPEX, uh, revenue fell by 69% year on year from 1.6 billion ringgit to 500 million. Interest expenses rose by 83% to 510 million ringgit. As a result, that the net interest income shrank to 169 million. Okay, so results were actually in line with expectation. Um, and Street expects the net interest margins to broaden in the fourth quarter. They redeemed some expenses suko in October and there should be limited expansion from the there on because the expensive FD that we saw in January to March would probably be repriced down from now onwards. But there are still questions about credit growth and I think that's really due to the softer macro environment at this juncture. Now, does the street like... Bank, bear in mind, it is the cheapest bank in the Malaysian space. ROEs are only 0.39 times. Uh, sorry, yes, 0.39 times. Am I got a price? Sorry, price to book is 0.39 times. Beneath the sector of 0.83 times. Currently, only three buys, four holes, no sells. Consensus target price for the stock two ringgit and 12 cents. Last done price, $2 is down 1 cents. On a year-to-date basis, stock is down 1.5%. It does pay you a yield of close to 4%. All right, from banking, let's turn our attention to Telco because we have Cellcom DG results. They reported net profit that increased 33% quarter on quarter in the third quarter to 456 million ringgit. Uh, this is thanks to lower regulatory and network-related costs as well as lower marketing spend. And this improved quarterly performance was despite a marginal 0.6 decline in revenue to 3.1 billion ringgit due to softer device sales and lower postpaid revenue. The, the results actually came in uh, just above analyst expectations. Uh, what we saw also was uh, on a year-on-year -year basis, a profit after tax before adjusting for minority, minority interest slipped by 3.7%. Okay, so the stock is up 7% on a year-to-date basis, 5 buys, 15 holes, 3 sells. Consensus target price for the stock is 4 ringgit and 50 cents. Last time price is up 2 cents to 4 ringgit and 28 cents. They are guiding for service revenue to be maintained. EBITDA 
to be flat to slow single-digit increase. And they've already are apparently on track to save gross synergy costs of uh, 2 to $250 million, although there is integration costs of $200 million at the same time. All right. It is 9.28 a.m. Um, we are going to be heading into the 9.30 a.m. news bulletin, but maybe very quickly just on how Cellcom DG is doing this morning. Uh, it's up two cents, actually, to four ringgit and 28 cents. Coming up after the news bulletin on pressing matters, Philip C. speaks to Nat Tanzayun from The Edge Malaysia on ESG reporting. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.